Who even thinks of ripping children from the arms of their parents? What goes through the mind of policymaker who orders babies seized from their mother in the name of deterrence? What goes through the mind of a border patrol officer when he grabs a shrieking toddler from his father? What goes through the mind of a social worker in a holding facility for what is now called tender age people? A euphemism as Orwellian as it comes. You ever been in the presence of a sobbing child? Not a whining child. A child who is so distressed that the sobs come from the very deepest part of the human experience. You remember how you felt? Is there any sound quite as sad as a sobbing child? Did it arouse in you some basic human instinct that so disturbed you so as to cause you to be driven to distraction? to be impulsively sympathetic, to reach out and to comfort. And what if that is your child? Can you imagine the crazed desperation you would feel to have some officer of the state take her from your arms? You don't have to imagine too hard. Just ask your grandparents, or your great-grandparents, or read their memoirs. Many of our ancestors who survived were orphans, forever scarred by the separation from their parents, a mental image permanently lodged in their head that gives them no respite for the rest of their days. Do you know what we go through here? At the preschool, when toddlers separate from their parents for the first time. It's a weeks-long process attended by compassionate and nurturing experts. Every day a few more minutes is added to the separation period that at no time exceeds several hours. The parents kiss their children 10 times before they leave, and they return a few minutes later and hug their children. I remember vividly separating from our daughter for the first time. I can still sense those feelings of vague, undefined danger that caused a suppressed but pervasive sense of fear in me. I can't get those feelings out of my head. And it was private nursery school. <laughs> Honestly, I'm still traumatized. And I can still feel the emotions of sending our daughter to sleepaway camp for the first time. It was summer camp. She wanted to go. She made friends for life there. I knew the entire camp staff. 
still. My wife and I were emotional wrecks. My wife cried the whole drive back from Massachusetts. It took us a week to regain some mental equilibrium. We had the same feeling of emptiness and ill-defined sense of dread even when we dropped her off at university. It was the warm embrace of nursery school, summer camp, university dorms, not the mechanized, bureaucratic, compassionless, tattooed-toned arms of security guards. Can you feel that moment of separation? Can you sense the desperation of migrant parents? Forget the politics for a moment. Can you empathize with terrified children and their parents whose first human instinct is to protect their children? Can you put yourself for a moment in their condition? That is the essence of morality. In the end, ethics, values, morals come down to basic human feelings. All the libraries of moral philosophy, begun in antiquity and bequeathed to us, all moral thought is essentially the codification and rationalization of human feeling. The feeling that a behavior is simply not right, which is then described philosophically and reflected in collective actions we call laws and policies. Put yourself in the other's shoes. This is the essence of any moral system. What is hateful to you, do not do unto others. This is the entire Torah the rabbis teach. All the rest is commentary. Go and study. Someone who is incapable of doing that, who cannot step into another's shoes, someone who is unmoved and undisturbed by a sobbing child who feels no pain or shame at human suffering is morally deficient. They lack the basic ingredient of what makes us human, the capacity to feel, to be guided by such feelings in order to distinguish between right and wrong. That we allow such morally deficient people to speak and act in our names should enrage us. Consider the depths of moral depravity. As we now know, 
the kids were taken with no thought on how to return them to their parents. There's no national database, no system to reunite families. Children, some still in diapers, have been transported all across the country. Some in our area with no notification, let alone coordination with local authorities. How disgusting is it that our mayor and our governor did not even know that several hundred of these kids were transported here and are living among us? How are kids in diapers or three-year-old toddlers? or 10-year-old youths supposed to find their parents. Children are not machines. They're human beings, like you and me. They get sick. They get lonely. They get depressed. Even teenagers living alone, especially teenagers, get depressed when their loved ones are not around to attend to them, to comfort them. You've been sick before, right? Is that the time you want to be completely on your own? In a cage? Or a tent city? or a military base surrounded by bureaucracy. It's not that there is no border issue. There is a serious immigration problem so complicated that for decades politicians have avoided it. Personally, personally, I do not support open borders. Let all who want just come on in. In my view, a country that has lost control of its borders has lost control of its destiny. But the language we now employ at the very highest echelons of our leadership to describe the weakest elements of humanity is a broken window into the moral deficiencies of the proponents of inhumane policies. And this from people who have preached to us for decades about family values. They ply us with words like infestation. Immigrants are infesting our country. That language is familiar to Jews. It should arouse in you centuries of painful memories. Insects infest, cockroaches infest. They are invading us. We are sending them the hell back. We're housing children in tender age facilities. It's basically like summer camp. They try to deceive us with words, 
These are not parents looking for summer fun for their children. I know what summer camp is. These are mostly desperate people driven to take extraordinary risks because of extraordinary danger and extraordinary suffering. Who ups and departs from their homes with their children in tow to embark on a path through the wilderness full of human scorpions if they are not themselves desperate? Here's what George Orwell wrote 72 years ago. In our time, political speech and writing are largely the defense of the indefensible. If thought corrupts language, language also corrupts thought. The invasion of one's mind by many, by ready-made phrases Tender age, summer camp, infestation. The invasion of one's mind by ready-made phrases can only be prevented if one is constantly on guard against them. Every such phrase anesthetizes a portion of one's brain. Political language is designed to make lies sound truthful and to give an appearance of solidity to pure wind. This womp womp moral chasm in the hearts of some influential people corrupts all of us. Hear the cries of desperate children the saddest sound in all existence. Cease this callous cacophony of contempt. Its intention or effect to dehumanize them and to desensitize us. We should have zero tolerance for them, for callous politicians and other public figures, they stain all of us. When the executive is morally disordered, no executive order will help. We, the people, must challenge the executive's moral order. We will look back on this period with shame as we do now on Japanese internment during World War II. We will be unable to fully grasp the moral inadequacy that characterized 2018 America. Future students of history will ask themselves what we ask about previous generations. What were they thinking? Why the blindness? Why didn't they see? Why didn't they do something? Among the most basic responsibilities of adults is to protect children. If you have to explain why, it's already a lost cause. 
the ability of adults to take care of our children has deteriorated in our country. We are unable to protect children in schools. Clergy and teachers abuse children. We cut social welfare programs designed to benefit poor children. We neglect them. We detain them. We disregard them. What is wrong with us? We have become morally vacuous. We're selfish. We view others as instruments to satisfy our own personal needs. We are impulsive, hostile, self-absorbed. Even children are now pawns, or worse, hostages. In our adult political machinations, the central issue is what kind of America do we want? The one of dishonorable behavior, rhetorical bullying, contempt for physically handicapped, handicapped and emotionally distressed people, the America that is nativist, populist, dismissive of science, America that is first in callousness, first in selfishness, and first in arrogance? Or do we want the other America? The America that stands for liberty. The one built upon a generosity of spirit that takes in the tired, the poor, the huddled masses yearning to breathe free. The America that is flawed, but earnest, generation after generation seeking to improve. Do we want that America? The country that is built upon self-evident truths that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Do we want that America? The America that Abraham Lincoln described as having malice toward none with charity for all, giving promise that in due time the weights would be lifted from the shoulders of all men and that all should have an equal chance. And if we want that America, We must fight for it. Get involved. Go up on our website and look at the list of actions we're organizing and coalitions we are joining. Everything we receive from Jewish tradition pleads with us to get involved. The sages teach that we are not obligated to complete the task, but neither are we free to desist. You know, Judaism survived because a comfortable and privileged adult had compassion on a Jewish refugee child. Pharaoh's daughter had something in her that her father lacked. She took in a baby refugee rather than allow his lifeless body to wash up on the shores of the Nile. The boy's name was Moses. She raised him as her own. He became the great 
emancipator. There would have been no Judaism and hence no Christianity or Islam had Pharaoh's daughter not opened her heart to the cries of a baby from a people scorned. The Bible tells us that she saw the cries. She didn't merely hear an infant weeping. The Bible says she saw Moses' cries. She peered into his heart and she found there not a Hebrew, but a fellow human being created in the image of God, deserving of the same protections and the same dignity as she, the daughter of the king. Khalil Gibran wrote, your children are not your children. They are sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they do not belong to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts, for they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls. For their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You are the bows from which your children, as living arrows, are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might, that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness. For even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable.